You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. Been in a series called We Are, and it's basically we're talking about who we are as, cult- as a culture in church, who we are as people individually. And last week, Brittany talked about conflict. So raise of hands, how many people punched someone in the face this week? No, just joking. Don't do that. Um, but we do want to, um, first of all, thanks, Britt, for bringing that message. But if you want to just take this time for like one minute, turn to the person next to you, talk about what you might have gotten out of last week's message. If you are not here, which a lot of you looks like we're not, um, just turn to the person next to you, uh, give a highlight from your week. Or if you did punch them in the face, tell them the story. I don't know. So I'm just going to give you guys one minute to do that. All right. Hi again. We just like to make sure that, you know, we have some time to chit-chat and all that good stuff. So, um, all right. So like I said, my name is Imani, and I also, um, I like to introduce my goatskin Bible. I think I'm going to introduce it every single time I preach because it's very nice Bible. It's the finest of skins. Um, my friend got this for me, and it's, it's seriously such a nice Bible. And the reason that I like to bring this up is because I can't go as in-depth as I want to go today, and I can't, I, can't near, I can't be as powerful and as amazing as what is in here. So please go back, read whatever I say to read or whatever the Lord prompts you to read, read this because this is the most important thing. This is what God has to say in this Bible is more important than anything I will have to say is more important than any other preacher, any other teacher, any other random person off the street. Make sure to read your Bible. If it's goatskin, that's even greater. If it's not, that's totally fine. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles here. So please, please read the Bible. I'm going to put my goatskin Bible down gently over here because I need... I'm going to be reading off of my paper, but I promise it's going to be from there. So, as you guys know, I love myself a good movie, and I do love myself a good plot twist. And uh, I was trying to think of, like, a plot twist that, like, totally, like, threw me, and I couldn't think of one. But I did think of one plot twist that I think has thrown the, the 20th century. Has anyone seen the original Planet of the Apes? In like the 60s. Okay. Well, for those of us who were not like around when that happened, um, uh, no offense if you were, but for those, of, for those of us that don't know, the original Planet of the Apes came out in the 60s. And uh, the whole premise is that this astronaut lands on this planet. The planet's full of all these apes that talk, and he's just under the impression that he's on this brand new planet where all the apes like run everything. So the humans, they're actually the animals, and it's like this whole like dialogue on social and racial and like all the stuff that was in the 60s. But at the end, you think he's on this planet of the apes, and he's riding his horse, and then he sees the Statue of Liberty, and everyone's like, what? He's been on Earth the whole time? And that was like a huge plot twist back in the day. For us now, we're just kind of like, of course he was, you know, that's not that serious. But the reason that I bring that up is that I think all of us like a good plot twist. I think all of us, sometimes we just go about life and we're thinking, oh, I know how this movie plays out. I know how this is going. And then all of a sudden, something happens and it completely twists, it totally twists the movie. And Jesus 
was the biggest plot twister of his time. Because for a long time, the Jewish people were just walking around being like, oh yeah, we know how God works, we know how salvation works, blah, blah, blah. And then Jesus pops on the scene and is like, <laughs> LOL, you have no idea what you're talking about. I'm going to twist this whole plot for you and turn everything that you know upside down. And you're going to be like, what? They were on earth the whole time? But, but not that, not that. Um, but genuinely, like Jesus is a huge plot twister. It's, it's just who, it's just what he does. Plot twist. He's the son of God. Plot twist. He's actually God. Plot twist. He rose on the third day. Plot twist. He's still alive. Like there's all these things that he does and that he twists a plot on. And the reason that, again, that I'm bringing that up is because we're going to look into a story, a parable, in fact, that he completely twists the plot for the people that were listening to him. And the people that were listening to him were the Pharisees and the sinners and the tax collectors. And at this point, the Pharisees and the sinners and the tax collectors thought they knew this is who God is, this is who I am, this is how I get salvation, this is how I won't get salvation. And Jesus comes and says, I'm actually gonna completely change this movie plot for you, and I'm actually gonna show you what the real deal is. So, this might be a story, if you've been in church, that you've heard a gazillion times. If you've never been in church, I'm going to try and break it down so you can maybe understand it. But just, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to ask that the Lord opens our hearts and our minds to hear him afresh and does a plot twist for us today. Lord Jesus, I'm going to sit for a second, actually. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to continue moving in this place. We rest in you. And we know that you are so eager, Lord, to meet with us today. So I pray for open hearts and open minds for myself, for each person here. And I just pray, God, that even if we've heard the story before, even if we have walls up, or even if we aren't, we're just here because you know, Amani invited me. Lord, I pray that you meet with us wherever we are at, that you meet with us, that you come, and that we see you for who you are. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me set the stage. Like I said, we have the Pharisees. So the Pharisees, if you don't know, are the super religious folks. They're like, if they were in our context, it'd be like the super duper, like crazy Christians, like super judgy, super prideful. And uh, they have this driving force of work. So they think like, if I follow the law, if I stay away from sinners, if I stay away from like all this, like all the stuff that could taint me, then I'm good. Like I will, I'm good in the eyes of, in the eyes of the Lord. And in this context, they're kind of like the in crowd because in Jewish culture, it was very, it was, it was very obviously, it was like a very theologically based government. So they're kind of like the in crowd, but nobody really likes them because they're so judgy and they're so prideful. And they're basically considered not lost. This is important, I promise, we'll come to that later. But they're considered not lost because they are God's chosen people, they are following the law, they're doing all the things that they need, that they think that they need to do in order to gain salvation, in order to gain love 
from the Lord. And their motto is basically like, uh, yeah, I'm above that. I'm above, I'm above talking to those um, blind people over there. I'm above um, with being around, with those scandalous folks over there. So they are just, they're, they're very haughty. They're very just prideful and arrogant and judgy. And I'm sure we know a couple of people that might fall into that category. Maybe it's you. I don't know. We'll see. Um, the second group of people that is there are the tax collectors and the quote-unquote sinners. So I just want to say that like everyone is a sinner, so let's just throw that out the bag. But the Pharisees thought that they weren't really because they had the sacrifices and all the things. But everybody is a sinner. Let's just throw it out there. So I'm going to, for all intents and purposes, say the outcast because this is what the, sin- these, the sinners in this in this context were. They were the sick. They were the vulnerable. They were, they were the scandalous. They were the, the pimps and the hoes and the, the you know, the, like they were the drug dealers. Like all of that, they were just the outcasts of society. And they really were just, their driving force, they didn't really have one. They were just like, whatever it takes for me to get by, I'm just going to try and just do what I can do to just live and whatever. They were considered lost in this society because, again, it's a very theologically based system. So they were just like, they're the lost people, they're outcasts, they can't get, they can't get to God, God can't love them. But at this point, their motto is just like, whatever, like, I'll try anything. And this is why it's so important because when Jesus comes, he levels the playing field. And he's like, well, Listen, I love the outcasts. I love the Pharisees. Pharisees don't really love me, but that's okay. I'm going to still keep talking to you. And the outcasts are like, wait a minute. Like, you're, you are actually, like, you're a popular guy. You're talking to us? Like, what's the deal here? And um, um, so basically, he's talking to these two groups of people. And uh, wait, I got to back up. So uh, these two groups of people have these separate ideas. One of them thinks they're lost, one of them thinks they're basically found. One is super religious, one is super not religious. But the one thing that they do have in common, which I think we can all attest and agree that we have in common with them, is that they wanted to be valued, they wanted to be accepted, and they wanted to be loved. And, uh, yeah. So, with that being said, let us get into the text, because I'm running low on time. So we're going to start in Luke 15. And if you don't know Luke 15, this is a very popular story in the Bible. It is the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. So the big thing is, is that Jesus likes to tell these stories in order to, he likes to tell stories in order to make like big spiritual principles. So like I said, the sinners, the outcasts were lost the Pharisees, religious people, were quote-unquote not lost. And in this society, if you were considered lost, you were considered someone that, like, you were just, no one cared about you. You had no value. You had no acceptance. You had no love. And uh, Jesus comes in, and he's like, I'm actually going to change the plot of that, of that movie. Because if you're lost, that does not necessarily mean that you don't have value. If you're lost, that doesn't necessarily mean that you, you're not accepted. And if you're lost, that definitely doesn't mean that you're not loved. So we get into the text, and it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering all around to hear Jesus, because they're like, Jesus is listening to us, we're going to listen to him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law murdered, ugh, this man welcomes, and welcomes sinners and eats with them. Ugh, 
What a classic, classic Pharisees. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has sheep and loses one of, him, one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've, lost, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need not repent. Or suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the whole house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin in the same way I tell you. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Before I get into the crux of everything, I have a question that I'd like you to ponder. No matter where you're at, if you're religious or if you're not religious, how do you think God feels about you when you're at your best? You don't have to say anything. Don't actually. That was my next question, Joe. How do you think God feels about you when you're at your worst? And be honest, because sometimes I think, especially in church context, we're like, the Lord is blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, that's, listen, if that's how you feel, that's great. But I think that sometimes our actions reflect very differently. He loves us anyway. But do you believe that? Do you understand that? Do your actions reflect the fact that you are loved constantly, regardless if you're at your worst, regardless if at your best? Thank you, Mother. I hear you. So for these folks, he tells this, he tells this parable of this lost coin and this lost sheep, and he completely reveals a new plot line here. Because he says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 and, and go after the lost one? Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she sweep the house, look, for every, like, look under every crevice until she finds it? And this is telling them that the lost item is valuable. He's saying the lost things are worth searching for and the lost things can be found and brought back into the mold. And I think it's also important to note that the lost items aren't doing anything to be found. They're literally just being lost. There is like the sheep's wandering around like I'm just, I'm a lost sheep, have a great day. And the coin is just like laying there like. But I think sometimes we think if we're in a lost place, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. I gotta do something. I gotta stop, I don't know, I gotta stop drinking. I gotta stop, you know, I gotta start praying more. I gotta start blah, blah, blah. Like, you feel like you have to do all these things in your lostness when in actuality, God has been seeking after you. He's been coming after you the whole time. You don't have to do anything to get out of your lostness. He will find you and bring you back to himself. So, he's telling this. People are like, what? What? The Pharisees are like, are you, what are you telling me? These lost people are important? What are you talking about? And the lost people are like, word? I'm valuable? 
what? Like, they're, like God, Jesus is blowing people's minds right now. And I think it's also important that we see that whole part of like, it's because he says in the same way, and we'll talk about repentance towards the end, but in the same way also constitutes like the whole rest of the story. So he's saying like, in the same way, like I'm telling you that God values the lost. It's not that just the lost are valuable. The lost are valued because God values the lost. God seeks out the lost. God finds the lost. God loves the lost and brings them back into the mold. And for the people that are lost that are listening to this, the outcasts, they, this, is, this is mind-blowing to them because they have lived in so much shame and so much guilt over what they've lived in and what they've done. They don't think that they're worthy enough to be brought back into the mold or to be brought into the mold at all. And the Pharisees, they have an opportunity to humble themselves a little and hear the fact that they are also valuable and they don't have to do anything. They are also accepted and they don't have to do anything. They are also loved and they don't have to do anything. But the question is, do they hear it? Or do they think, oh, well, you know what, I'm good. I've been, I've been a Pharisee since like 87. I don't need love. I don't, I'm, I'm good. Like, I know God loves me. I know God accepts me. I know, like, it's fine. Because, I might be getting ahead of myself, but I'm just going to say it. So, uh, I think love and acceptance and value are very basic things that we need. But I think also the longer that we've been walking with the Lord, sometimes we think that we're above it. Or that we don't need it from the Lord. So, So, Jesus continues, because it's very rare that Jesus does three parables in a row that have to do with the same thing. So I just want to reiterate, like, it's very rare, so he's really trying to bring home a point. And he's like, listen, I need y'all to hear this, because this is very important. These are three in a row. So he's saying, the lost are valuable, the lost are accepted, the lost are loved. God loves, God accepts, God values changing their minds, changing the plot twist. So then he goes on and he tells the story of the lost son. I'm not going to read the whole first half, so basically, but I'll just explain it really quick in case you don't know. So there's this farmer and he's got two sons. He's got one son who's like, perfect, super, and he knows it. He's, and he's like, listen, I be working for my dad. I don't be making mistakes. Uh, I, and like, I don't know what my brother would be doing, but I know I'm doing all the things. And he's super arrogant, super prideful, super judgy, hint, hint. And then he's got, the farmer has a second son, who is the polar opposite of the older son. He is loosey-goosey, in every word possible. He's like, I'm finna live life fast and loose. I don't want to be here at this farm. I want to do what I want to do. It is what it is. Have a great day. So he basically goes to his dad, and the, the younger son, and he's like, Dad, I would like my inheritance now. Money, please. Which in, Jew, in Jewish culture is basically saying, drop dead, Dad, and give me my money. And the dad is like, okay. All right. No questions asked. And he gives the younger son his share of his inheritance, even though he hasn't died yet, even though he's still very much functioning as a human being. He's just like, here, take, your, take the money and go. So the son leaves, goes to the big city, 
living life fast and loose if you can think it, he was doing it, I guarantee it. And he wastes all his money, loses it all, and then there's a famine that hits, can't get a job, so he has literally lost everything to the point where he's like, all right, you know what, I'm just going to have to go work with, with the pigs because that's literally the only, that's my only lifeline right now. And for a Jewish person back then, you, pigs were like, that's like the, the disgusting. Like, it, like you can't, you can't get gro- like more gross than working with pigs. But he's working with the pigs. He's still starving. He's, he's still in need. He's still like, you know what? Like, I, I'm starving. Like, I almost want to eat what these pigs are eating. What am I doing? My life sucks. I got to go back home. Like, what am I doing? And he comes to himself and he has this like revelation of like, I am really sick of living in this emptiness. I'm really sick of living like this life that's fast and loose and, and I've literally lost everything. I need to go home. And I know that like I've lived a scandalous life and I'm probably like my, my dad's probably going to like reject me, but I'd rather go and be a servant for my father than be his son. And then he goes back to his dad And this is, I'll read from the text. It says, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the word kissed here is not just like, it was like, like he was like loving up on his son. And the son said to him, father, man, I sinned against heaven I sing against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. This signified value. Put a ring on his finger. This signified value also. And then put sandals on his feet. This signified that he was, a, that he was free and not a slave, that he was accepted. And, that, and he says, bring out the fattened calf, which is, in our context, like, bring out the best meats, because we're finna have a party. My son is home. Let's feast together. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and he is found. In this moment, the son is very much, re- he's ready. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go back to my dad's house. I'm just going to be, be a servant of his. I won't be his son. I'm too ashamed to go to him because of all the things I've done but I know that I need my dad. And the dad doesn't shame him or guilt him and say, oh, you told me to drop dead. Get out of here. I don't want you. He says, come on in. Let me put a robe on you. You're my son. I love you. And he brings, even though the son wasn't expecting it, he brings value. He brings acceptance. He brings love back to his son who didn't think he was worthy of it. But then here comes the brother. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. Oh, no, people are having fun. Uh Uh-oh. What are we going to do? So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? And and the servant said, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's come back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went to him and pleaded with him, come in, what are you doing? But he answered the father and he said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you 
and, you ne and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But then this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill and give him the good meats? And the father says, my son, love. You are always with me. Acceptance. And the father says, everything I have is yours. Value. But he goes on to say, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother, not my son, your brother, was dead and he's alive. He was lost and is found. So we have the second son, who I think is just really interesting because he's been with the father this whole time. And if he really thought like, listen, I would, I would, like, a go I would I like at least a go, he could have gone and said it. But I wonder, if the I wonder if the son was too prideful to go to the father and ask for what he actually wanted. Or I wonder if he thought he was above it. Like, oh, you know what? I'm good, I don't need, like, it's fine. Like, I, I know that I'm doing good. I know that I'm loved. I know I'm valued. I stayed. I'm working for my dad. I don't need, I don't need that. I don't need my heart to be full. And I think because he didn't go to the father, go to his father in his moments of need, he ended up clinging to his righteousness instead of clinging to the one who made him a son. Because his righteousness made him a slave, because he said, I'm a slave to you. But the son, but as a son, he was already accepted. And the father's basically like, son, like, you're trying to get the goat. You literally own the whole farm. I wonder if some of us who have known, who have been with the Lord the whole, this, for a long time, we're constantly settling and trying to get the goat when we actually own the whole farm. Or I wonder if there's moments where we're just like, oh man, I just, I'm so frustrated because this person's getting blessed. I've been doing all this. I've been doing all that. Da, 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 da. And God's just like, why don't you just come to me? The plot twist here is that Father values, accepts, and loves both his prideful and judgy son and his shamed and lost son, the same. He goes out for, he goes to both of them. He speaks into both of their situations and he loves and accepts them. And I think sometimes when we hear the story, We'll be like, oh, I was, I was the outcast. I, I, I identify with the sinners, blah, 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 blah. But take, a, take an honest look at yourself, for real. Do you relate more to the outcast or do you relate more to the Pharisees? Do you relate more to the older son who keeps their hands closed and doesn't want blessing? Or do you prefer, or do you relate more to the second son who's living life fast and loose? but really just needs acceptance, value, and love. So 
So what do we do with this? There's this word that I kind of glossed over before, and it's called repentance. And there's a lot of thoughts, there's a lot of thoughts that go along with repentance. I know, like, most of you are thinking of that, like, crazy person in the, the apocalyptic films, are like, repent! The world is ending! That's not what we're talking about here. In this context, repent is metanoia. That's Greek, and it's Greek for changing of one's mind. And I think that Jesus does all this plot twisting. He says all these stories because he just wants one simple thing. He just wants his hearers to change their mind about something. He wants them to put down their ways of thinking and pick up God's way of thinking instead. And I think today, God is challenging us to do the same thing. He wants us to change our mind. Is it that we need to change our mind about who we are? Do you think you're valuable? Do you think you're accepted? Do you think you're loved? Do you have to change your mind about who God is? Do you think God loves you? Do you think God accepts you? Do you think God thinks you're valuable? Or maybe it's just something else. I don't know. Maybe you think you're not enough. Maybe you think you're not worthy. You might have been having a lot of just crazy chaos and you just are like, I just need some calm. I think it's very interesting that in the, the story of the lost son, the father shows himself as kind and then each son just brings their vulnerability. The one son is like, I'm not worthy to be here. And that is, that is a vulnerable place. And then the other son is like, I've slaved for you. A vulnerable place. And when they were vulnerable before their father, the father was able to meet them where they were at and speak life into them. And I know that this world has made us very hard. And we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to put our guard down. We've been either living life fast and loose and we just don't care. Or we've been sitting in these pews thinking, ah, I'm above it. I'm good. I'm good. I'll just handle things on my own. I'll take, you know, onward Christian soldier. But today, and uh, Dan, if you want to start heading on up. Um, today, I really feel like the father wants to meet with his kids in a very vulnerable way. I wasn't going to share this, but I think I'm going to. So if you know me, I do not like to be vulnerable, like, at all. My friends over there, like, shaking their head, like, yeah. But genuinely, I, I don't like people to, I don't like to look weak. I don't like to, I don't, I just, I don't like to look vulnerable. I don't like, because it's all, I'm all, because I'm like the Pharisees. It's all about how I look. I don't want to look, like, a certain way. And I didn't grow up with my dad. 
And for a long time, people would tell me all the time, like, oh, you know, you need a dad. You should, you know, there's certain, there's certain things you're missing, blah, blah, blah. And I just put up a wall and I was like, absolutely not. I'm good. I didn't need him. He, like, I, it was fine. Like, he wasn't a bad guy, but I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And I, I was a little bit ashamed to say, like, there was something that was missing. But God knew. And even when, like the coin and the sheep, even when I wasn't trying to be found, even when I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, the Father still showed himself as a father to me and showed me what I was missing. I was missing my value. I was missing my acceptance. I was missing being fully loved because I was too, no, I'm good, I'm good. And when I was praying this morning and crying this morning, because I've been praying and crying all day, I was just thinking about so many of us who just think like, no, I'm good, I'm good, I don't need it, I don't need it, I don't need it. We're settling for scraps, we're settling for the goat. And God's like, let me give you the whole farm, it's yours. Take it, I want to give it to you. Change your mind, change your mind about me, change your mind about your circumstances, change your mind, because I am more joyful when you change your mind and come to me than if you pretend like you got everything all figured out. So, that being said, let's stand. We're going to have some ministry time. Because like I said, I, I really, and we were praying this morning with the prayer team, and I just, God wants to love on you today. I don't know where you're at. You might be super religious. You might not be. You might have grown up in the church. You might not have. You might be prideful. You might be shameful. But God loves you the same and you belong to him. And whatever it is that you are struggling with, I just encourage you to be honest and to be vulnerable with the Lord and tell him like, listen, man, I need this. No matter how big, no matter how small. And maybe... It's just the simple fact of like, I'm just like sick of my life and where I'm at. I need, I need a change. I need you. So Holy Spirit, Father, I just ask, Lord, that you come. Break down the walls. Break down the preconceived notions. Break down false plot lines, Lord. Meet with each and every one of your kids here and online right now.
I think that there's some people who are here who... There's an emptiness that you've been trying to fill with all this stuff. And I think that the Lord is, is really prompting you right now just to be like, let me fill that empty place. And if that's you, you can either, you can raise your hand, you can come up here. We have prayer people over here. But I think the Lord really wants to minister to you. And he wants you to accept him. He wants you to accept him. He wants you to accept all the riches, all the things that he has for you. Or if you don't want to raise your hand, it's fine. Just allow the, whole, allow the Lord to, to talk to you and to fill those spaces. Johanna, did you want to come up and share what you shared in um, prayer team? praying this morning, uh, I got a picture of like, well, it's, it looked kind of like a scene from The Patriot, but it was um, just like fog and trees on either side. And there were people who had lanterns, but the lanterns, they were down by their stomachs. And um, we just felt like Jesus and hope is in the lantern. And he's saying that you need to raise the lantern up so that it's eye level, uh, so that he can you just need to send your hope back up to him so that he can refill it and you can keep going on. I think some of us are in like a, a long haul season and there's some things that we've been carrying and the hope and the joy and the whatnot in the lantern is just slowly kept going down and down and God's giving you an opportunity today to raise it back up. Um, so if that's you, we also felt like this was an action step that will require a hand raise or some sort of outward motion to tell God that you receive what he's saying and you are raising up and believing that he will restore that hope. So Jesus, we just ask that for the people who are raising their hands, um, God, that you would restore the hope, restore the promise. God, that you would just refill just right from the belly, God, the joy, the peace, and the reminder that you, you are there, you have them. If there's people around you whose hands are up, I just ask that you would go around and pray for them and just bless what the Holy Spirit is doing on them and for them. receiving from the Lord, but if there's one thing that God wants you to know today is that you are 
valuable.